You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. As you know, it is Missions Month, and um, today is the last, um, well, tomorrow is actually the last day for registration. Part of our home mission is the Mental Health Seminar. And so just as a reminder, uh, if you are planning to come, uh, we have about 150 people right now registered, and we want to make sure that we have enough parking for our guests. So if you are coming um, from our church, we want to encourage you uh, to get a little exercise and park at the hospital across the street, and then uh, join us for the day. That will allow us to have enough parking for our guests. And we want to continue to pray for it, and uh, would you be praying that God will protect us spiritually as we endeavor to reach out to our community, teaching about mental health and helping people whose families are struggling with mental illness. And again, you can still register until tomorrow. We encourage you to register today. And registration will be out in the um, fellowship hall as well as for the discipleship uh, for the women's retreat. Now let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for all that you give to us and Lord, you don't give it to us so that we would just consume it and take it for ourselves, but you give to us so that we might give to others. And Lord, as we have been learning about mission, we're becoming more aware of the needs around the world. And Lord, today, as we hear about what's happening in Asia, we pray, Lord, that you will bless in ways that are um, really tangible ways to our missionaries like the Lovatos, Um, like Esther in Taiwan, uh, like Kevin in Moldova, and and so many other places in, in China. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be diligent in the way in which we reach out to them. Lord, as we do pray, as we've been challenged, that if you are leading us to reach out to those areas, to have the courage to look into it, to see if you might be calling us to serve on a short term mission project to any of these places, including San Telmo in Mexico and the YSMP in Arizona. Help us, Lord, to be diligent in pursuing you and in using our lives for eternal purposes. Lord, we also pray for our women's re- retreat, and we thank you for the theme of discipleship. Lord, we want to pray for Michelle Telfer and for her family as she prepares to be our speaker. We pray, Father, that you will bring health into her family so that she'll be able to be there um, strong and vibrant. And we also pray, Lord, for the mental health seminar coming up this week, uh, for our main speaker and all the workshop leaders. Lord, would you give us wisdom, strength, courage? Would you unite us as a team working together? Would you help us to reach out to our community to shine Jesus' light on mental health? Father, we pray for our church to continue to be all that you want us to be. Lord, we confess our need for you. We confess that it is not something that we can do on our own. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us in such a manner that we would see that through our lives, Jesus Christ is magnified, that we would see through our lives that you are pleased. Lord, thank you. As we continue to study in the story, Lord, help us to learn from your word all that it means to know your commands and to understand today your covenant. Thank you, Father, that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
And so for the last five weeks, we have been studying the story. And uh, these are the story books, and these are the books that we are using as we are following each week a chronology of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So we finally did receive our uh, shipment of new books. So if anybody um, has not received a book after service, just come on up and pick one up here. Um, and that'll be for you. And you get to keep it so you can mark it up. Um, and we want you to read it every week, of course. Uh, you don't have to bring it to church on Sunday, uh, but do bring your Bibles with you. And so today we are going to be starting back with a short review. Um, we began five weeks ago talking about creation, the beginning of life as we know it. And if you've been following in the story, and if you've been following it through an understanding that there are five major movements in the story. There's five movements, one that begins in Genesis, going all the way to the fifth one in Jesus' return. But there's a garden at the beginning, and there's a garden at the end. There's the Garden of Eden at the beginning, and the Garden in Paradise at the end. But we want to understand the movements. And so I thought it would be good for us um, to read together the first two movements, because that's where we are right now. So would you read this out loud with me? Movement number one is the story of the garden. Let's say it together. In the upper story, God creates the lower story. His vision is to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people reject God's vision and are escorted from paradise. Their decision introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from community with God. At this moment, God gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and made it possible for us to enter a loving relationship with him. So right now, all of us are living in the lower story. It's our lives. It's what happens to us day in and day out. But the upper story is God superintending the events of our lives, God's control over all the universe, God's decisions that are leading to the kingdom of God. And so we began in Genesis understanding that God wanted man to live in a perfect paradise, but man chose sin. And because of that, we now have sin in the lower story. But that didn't deter God in the upper story. God is going to continue to work with people. He's going to continue to build a nation. And so that begins the second movement of what we're learning in the story. And that's where we are in these chapters right now as we look at Exodus later today. So let's read together the second movement of the story, the story of Israel or God builds a nation. Let's read it together. God builds a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he will reveal his presence, power, and plan to get us back. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. So God doesn't give up. Even though Adam and Eve sinned, even though after Noah and after the flood, people continue to sin, God is going to build a nation and he's going to use that nation to give his grace to the world. And God is going to bring his grace ultimately through his son Jesus. So through Israel, Jesus is going to come into the world. 
And so as we're going through the Old Testament, the story is teaching us about the coming of the Messiah. The story is teaching us about how God uses the situations that you and I go through to still lead us to a better future. That's very important to remember as we go into the main part of our message later today. But then we see that after the nation began to be built, there was the people that got scattered among the world. And Joseph was one that was sent because his brothers betrayed him. He was sold into slavery, but he maintained his character, even though he was wrongly accused, even though people forgot about him. But eventually, because he rose to power in Egypt, God used him to bring his family from Canaan to Egypt. And there they grew into a mighty nation as God was preparing to send them out into all the world. Then last or two weeks ago, Pastor Peter preached about deliverance. And this is when we learned how the people, after they had grown from two to three million people in Egypt, and now they were going to be freed out of their slavery They're being delivered, and God was using a man named Moses to deliver them. So they received the Ten Commandments. Moses went up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and there he received God's law. When he went down, the people received what God was giving to them, and God's promise that he was going to lead them into the future. And so now we see, as we come to today, that God gives us these commands and he gives us a new covenant. He wants us to understand that he is with us, but as we talk to the children today, rules are good. Rules are good. So if I were to say, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we don't obey God. I wonder what would happen if we know God's word, but we choose to ignore it. I wonder what would happen if I know the Ten Commandments, but my life doesn't show that I obey them. Well, today, we want to imagine what it would be like to really be the other way and be the right way, to do what God wants us to do, to be the people that God wants us to be. And for that to happen, we need to really understand who we are, but what we can be in God. And for that to also happen, we want to understand who God is and what God wants for us. And so we're going to look at God and we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to look in the mirror of Scripture to see how God wants us to live. So the first thing that we see is God. It's going to be God, of course. And God being God, He establishes a covenant and commandments to rule us. He establishes a covenant, which we're going to understand what that means, his promises to us, and in that covenant, he gives us responsibilities called commandments to obey. He doesn't force us to do them, but if we want to enjoy the promises of his covenant, then we have to do it through obedience to his commandments. And so in Exodus 19, 3 through 6, we begin to understand the love of God and what God is doing. Would you stand with me? And let's read these verses out loud together. So Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Let's say it together. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, 
if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Please be seated. Thank you. And so God is giving to us a covenant. A covenant is a promise that I will take care of you. A a covenant is a promise that I'm going to be faithful to you. Now, in our world, we're used to contracts. And contracts protect me. But covenants are to protect you. When I have a contract, it's about what you are going to give to me. But in a covenant, it's about what I am going to give to you. So contracts are very me-focused. Covenants are very you-focused. And so God, when he gives us his covenant, it is his promise that he will be faithful to us. But he doesn't make us obey. We have to choose to obey. So God gives us his commandments. And commandments are conditions that God gives to us so we can enjoy and grow in a covenant life. In Exodus chapter 20, we hear the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to read them to you right now. But I wonder, um, before I do that, could you name all Ten Commandments? Could you name them? Now, we're not going to do that, okay? But I wonder if we could just name them all. If we sat down on a piece of paper, not even in order, if we could name them all. Now, these are God's decisions. These are God's desires for you and me. This is what he knows is what's best for us. It is foundational. It is basic. And it is what God calls us to be and to do. So the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Or as we told the children, you don't worship any other gods. Number two is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And as we said to the children, don't make anything in your life more important than God. The third one, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then the fifth through the tenth one, honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not give false testimony. And do not covet your neighbor's things. God wants us to know that these are the things are the part of his commandments. This is what he wants for you and for me. And when we look at this, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I want us to think a little more carefully about the first four. It's that if God is being God and he gives us a covenant, then our choice is who are we going to be? So I want you to just think about me being me, okay? Me being me, what will I do? Maybe you've heard that statement before, you know, somebody being somebody, and that's just what they are. Okay, many years ago, there was a baseball player on the Dodgers named Manny, and Manny was kind of weird, and he did weird things, and the news would always say, well, that's just Manny being Manny. Well, for you and for me, we have a choice of being who God really made us to be. And so me being me, what can I choose? Jesus, as we told the children, summarized the Ten Commandments for us. 
And the first four are in Mark 12, 30, summarized by Jesus with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so God wants us to be ourselves by choosing the things that are right for us. And so the first commandment, we review it again, is that God wants us to have no other gods before him or to worship God only by letting him determine all of my ways. Do we let God determine the way we live? Is there something else or someone else that determines what I do? God wants us to put him first, and worship means that which tells us what to do. What I choose to do is what I worship. And God leads us in such a way that we can choose to do the things that we know his word teaches us to do. The second commandment teaches us this, to make nothing more important to ourselves than God. Make nothing more important to ourselves than God. And that includes all people as well. It includes all things that we might possess. It includes our dreams. It includes our possessions. It includes all of the things that our hearts long for, but to make nothing more important in our heart than to love and to know God. The third one is to not use God's name in vain or to use it with great care, to use it in such a way that I respect it. Now, of course, we think, like, I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to use God's name profanely. But also, we should be careful to not use God's name carelessly. Like, you know, just saying, oh, God. Or some people go, oh, oh my Lord. And sometimes we just sort of say things out of our mouth without thinking. But God would have us to be very careful and to use our words, especially when we use the name of Jesus, we use the name of God with respect and with love and with the desire for obedience. And the fourth one, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, is to stop and to worship God one day a week and to rest for a 24-hour period, to let our bodies recover, to enjoy that time as well, so that we aren't just crazy running around people. That God wants us to be ourselves, but we have to make that choice. Because God being God has given us his covenant, but we being his people will obey his commandments. But we see, as we look at the people, and, and we are oftentimes very much like them, that people being people will make promises that they will not keep. In Exodus 24, 3 through 4 and 7 through 8. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's say it together. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you is in accordance with all these words. And we'll look at those, that last passage later. But here we see that everything the Lord has said, the people said we would do. Let's just say that line together. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Say it with me. Everything the Lord has said, we will do.
Can you imagine being part of that throng of people saying that? Millions of people saying to Moses, everything the Lord has said we will do. And Moses is like, all right, we're on the same page here. And so he writes down everything the Lord had been telling him. And then he begins to read the law of the covenant to the people. And then once again they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The last line there, say it out loud with me. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And so they said that this is what I'm going to do. We will do everything. Moses, as their leader, is trying to help them to follow after the promises of God. But they themselves have made a promise to God. Well, God called Moses back up to the mountain to receive more of the law. But it wasn't long before the people started to disobey. So Moses had gone up to the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. And that's almost six weeks. And as the people were waiting, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 32 that the people became impatient. And they said, we don't know what happened to this Moses. He, he disappeared up the mountain. And Aaron, who is, supposed to, who is the first priest, He's supposed to lead the people while Moses is gone. He tells them, you know what? Why don't you just take off the jewelry that you have, the jewelry that you brought from Egypt, and we're going to melt it down, and we're going to make an idol. And so Aaron takes the jewelry of the people, and he makes an idol, and he makes that famous golden calf. And then after they make the golden calf, the people look at it and they say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. In less than six weeks, they went from saying, we will do everything the Lord has told us to do, to creating an idol that offends God and breaks his heart. But not just breaks his heart, it breaks Moses' heart as well. And so Moses comes down the mountain Moses hears singing, he sees dancing, he sees the party going all around this golden calf, and he gets incensed. He takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them to the ground and they break. He goes to the people and he challenges them, what have you done? What have you done, Aaron? Why did you allow this to happen? And Aaron comes up with this really solid reply. Aaron says in Exodus 32, verse 24, he says, I told the people, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Right? So that, that's what happened, Moses. Right? Just, it just magically appeared. And it's like, you know, even our, our kindergartners here, you know, probably wouldn't have come up with an excuse like that. And yet Aaron did. And that is such a part of who we are too, isn't it? We, we tend to make excuses. We tend to make things up. We tend to try to put the responsibility on other people. And so even though there are times as people we don't keep our promises, we must learn that there are times that no matter what happens, I'm still going to seek to trust God. So me being me, 
What am I going to do? How am I going to choose to love and obey? How am I going to choose to do what God calls me to do? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You obey what I say. Well, the first one, the lesson that we can learn from Aaron and from the people is be patient. Be patient and obey God, even if God is silent. Even if you're going through trials and it seems like God isn't answering your prayers, just know that he has not answered them the way you want yet. It doesn't mean that he's not going to answer them. He is answering them, but we must learn to be patient and in the process still obey God. But if we sin, we must learn to confess our sins without making any excuses No, none of this, you know, I threw the jewelry into the gold, now pop this calf. We make excuses that are silly, that they don't make sense. But God wants us to take ownership. When we make mistakes, he is more than ready to forgive us. In fact, Moses is an example of God's forgiveness. He's also an example of, of God's judgment. And so the people made a mistake. God's ready to forgive God's eager to forgive, but at the same time, we will pay consequences for our sin. And so we have seen that God being God does the things that is always right. He gives us a covenant and he gives us commands. We see that people being people will make promises that they will not keep. But we're going to see something in Moses that is totally different for you and for me. And something that we all need. We need a Moses in our life because Moses is like Jesus. And Moses being like Jesus leads his people. Moses is what um, Bible scholars would call a type of Christ. It's called typology. And topology is something that helps us to see that even in the Old Testament, remember we read that at the beginning in the movement, right? In movement two, is that God was going to do everything through the life of his country, Israel, all through this nation to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. So the Old Testament is a preparation for Jesus. So in the Old Testament, we see people and events that are types of things that we happen that will happen in the New Testament. So there are people like Moses that represent a type of person. In this case, Moses represents Jesus. So typology is a special kind of symbolism. A symbol is something which represents something else. We can define a type as a prophetic symbol because all types are representations of something yet future. More specifically, a type in Scripture is a person or a thing in the Old Testament which foreshadows a person or a thing in the New Testament. And so Moses being Moses is actually Moses being like Jesus. He leads us and he shows us what God wants us to have. Now, God used Moses to teach us the law. In John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so God gives us his grace and his truth, the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. But we see that God has to punish sin. That's why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. That's why the people had to be punished after they made the goat and calf. And it was very severe. 
In Exodus chapter 32, verses 25 through 29, I'm going to read it. We see that God executes his judgment through Moses. It says there, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. There are hard sayings in the Bible. There are some things in the Bible that really make us stop and think, and we we have to do that. But one of the things that we learn through this passage is that God takes sin seriously. Moses took sin seriously. And as a type of Jesus, Moses was executing God's judgment into the world. And so he called the Levites to himself. And the Levites were the instruments of judgment over those who had sinned. It doesn't say that they just randomly went through the camp killing whoever. It seems quite logical that these 3,000 people who died were the instigators of the calf and the people who were the most out of control, leading the people astray. And they were judged for their sin, for making an idol for doing the very thing God had commanded them not to do. Does Jesus judge? Yes. In John chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, and these are Jesus' words, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And in the parable of what is known as the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus is the judge And there he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus himself is the judge. And there is a righteous judgment that God is going to perform over all people, over all the world. And this is very important for us to understand as we look at the story. Because for us to be able to understand grace, we also have to understand holiness. We have to understand that God has a holy standard by which he expects us to live by. And God will execute judgment to those who reject that standard. Now, God is a God of love. And Moses, as a type of Jesus, is a a person of great love. And so he intercedes. In fact, even though though 3,000 of the Israelites were killed that day, Moses himself was willing to die for his people. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 30, it says, In the next day, Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. 
To be blot out of God's book would have been to be separate from God for all of eternity. Moses was willing to be separated from God for all of eternity. We might say that in essence, Moses was saying, I'll go to hell for these people. Don't blot them out of your book. Rather, blot me out of your book. How many people in your life are you willing to give up your salvation for? How many people in your life would you be willing to die for? Maybe, you know, hopefully your spouse, you know, parents, your children. Children, would you die for your parents? You know, how many people do you think are willing to die for you? Moses was willing to die for about three million people. He was willing to have his name blot out. And yes, he was an executor of judgment. He understood it. And all the more understanding the judgment of God, how fearful that must have been to say, God, I'll take that judgment for them. I'll take that judgment. He knew what it was like. But he was still willing to do that. What about Jesus? Is Jesus an intercessor? Is Jesus somebody who will lead us in such a way that he would do something even as Moses did? Well, we know the answer, of course, is yes. For God so loved the world that he loved his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God didn't want to come into the world to bring condemnation. He came into the world to bring salvation. But people still have a choice. And Jesus lives as an intercessor. Jesus lives as one who cares about us, who stands in between God and says, I will die in their place. I will take their place so they don't have to be separate from you. Even though they have sinned, I will pay the price of their sin. And how did he do that? Now remember earlier on when we read about the book of the covenant, we read what Moses said after the people said, everything you said we will do. So then it says, then Moses, right after that, people said in verse 7, everything that you said we will do. And then in verse 8, Moses then took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so even though the people had said, we will do everything, they hadn't even done the golden calf thing yet. They said, we're going to do everything that you tell us to do. So even though they agreed with God at that point of time that they would be obedient, they still needed blood. So there's no amount of obedience in our lives that means that we don't need God's blood over us. And so these people, even though they had agreed to obey God, God now gives them a type of what Jesus would do. And Moses takes blood and he sprinkles it over the people. And he says, this is the covenant that the Lord has made. This is a precursor. This is a prophetic action that's going to talk about our Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the Bible says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. See, Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. And he sprinkled blood over the people. 
so that they might know the forgiveness of God. But now the meteor of the new covenant is Jesus, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So how many people would you die for? Does it get past 10? Mine doesn't. My list doesn't. Moses is 3 million. How many billions of people have lived in this world? And Jesus died for all of them. He was the mediator of a new covenant. How? By spreading, shedding his blood for you and for me. And so Moses being like Jesus teaches us to be like Jesus too. Teaches us to love Jesus with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And so me being me, what will I choose? What can I choose to be more like Jesus? What can I do to be more like Moses? To love God more than any other. To go back and to think through those first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. Do I truly love God more than any other? And we can renew that desire even today. But then like Moses and like Jesus, to even love others more than my own life, which would be equally saying to love others more than I love myself. To care about their needs, to be willing to die for them, I may not physically have to die for them, but I may to have to die to my own desires so that they can receive from me a service or an action or love. And then lastly, to intercede and to pray for those who sin against God or against me. To pray for those who are... It, and at odds with God, to pray at those who are turned away from God, to pray for those who aren't obeying God right now. These are the three actions that you and I can do to apply the covenant through righteousness, through obedience, is to love God more than any other, to love others more than myself, and to intercede for any who might sin against me. Let's pray. As you know, it is Missions Month, and um, today is the last, um, well, tomorrow is actually the last day for registration. Part of our home mission is the mental health seminar. And so just as a reminder, uh, if you are planning to come, uh, we have about 150 people right now registered, and we want to make sure that we have enough parking for our guests. So if you are coming um, from our church, we want to encourage you uh, to get a little exercise and park at the hospital across the street. And then uh, join us for the day. That will allow us to have enough parking for our guests. And we want to continue to pray for it. And uh, would you be praying that God will protect us spiritually as we endeavor to reach out to our community, teaching about mental health and helping people whose families are struggling with mental illness. And again, you can still register until tomorrow. We encourage you to register today. And registration will be out in the um, fellowship hall as well as for the discipleship uh, for the women's retreat. But let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for all that you give to us. And Lord, you don't give it to us so that we would just consume it and take it for ourselves. 
but you give to us so that we might give to others. And Lord, as we have been learning about mission, we're becoming more aware of the needs around the world. And Lord, today, as we hear about what's happening in Asia, we pray, Lord, that you will bless in ways that are um, really tangible ways to our missionaries like the Lobatos, um, like Esther in Taiwan, uh, like Kevin in Moldova, and, and so many other places in, in China. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be diligent in the way in which we reach out to them. Lord, as we do pray, as we've been challenged, that if you are leading us to reach out to those areas, to have the courage to look into it, to see if you might be calling us to serve on a short-term mission project to any of these places, including San Telmo in Mexico and the YSMP in Arizona. Help us, Lord, to be diligent in pursuing you and in using our lives for eternal purposes. Lord, we also pray for our women's re retreat, and we thank you for the theme of discipleship. Lord, we want to pray for Michelle Telfer and for her family as she prepares to be our speaker. We pray, Father, that you will bring health into her family so that she'll be able to be there um, strong and vibrant. And we also pray, Lord, for the mental health seminar coming up this week, uh, for our main speaker and all the workshop leaders. Lord, would you give us wisdom, strength, courage? Would you unite us as a team working together? Would you help us to reach out to our community to shine Jesus' light on mental health? Father, we pray for our church to continue to be all that you want us to be. Lord, we confess our need for you. We confess that it is not something that we can do on our own. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us in such a manner that we would see that through our lives, Jesus Christ is magnified, that we would see through our lives that you are pleased. Lord, thank you. As we continue to study in the story, Lord, help us to learn from your word all that it means to know your commands and to understand today your covenant. Thank you, Father, that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so for the last five weeks, we have been studying the story. And uh, these are the story books. And these are the books that we are using as we are following each week a chronology of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So we finally did receive our uh, shipment of new books. So if anybody um, has not received a book after service, just come on up and pick one up here. Um, and that'll be for you. And you get to keep it so you can mark it up. Um, and we want you to read it every week, of course. Uh, you don't have to bring it to church on Sunday, uh, but do bring your Bibles with you. And so today we are going to be starting back with a short review. Um, we began five weeks ago talking about creation, the beginning of life as we know it. And if you've been following in the story, and if you've been following it through an understanding that there are five major movements in the story. There's five movements, one that begins in Genesis, going all the way to the fifth one in Jesus' return. But there's a garden at the beginning, and there's a garden at the end. There's the Garden of Eden at the beginning, and the Garden in Paradise at the end. But we want to understand the movements. And so I thought it would be good for us um, to read together the first two movements, because that's where we are right now. So would you read this out loud with me? Movement number one is the story of the garden. Let's say it together. In the upper story, God creates the lower story. 
His vision is to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people reject God's vision and are escorted from paradise. Their decision introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from community with God. At this moment, God gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and made it possible for us to enter a loving relationship with him. So right now, all of us are living in the lower story. It's our lives. It's what happens to us day in and day out. But the upper story is God superintending the events of our lives. God's control over all the universe. God's decisions that are leading to the kingdom of God. And so we began in Genesis understanding that God wanted man to live in a perfect paradise. But man chose sin. And because of that, we now have sin in the lower story. But that didn't deter God in the upper story. God is going to continue to work with people. He's going to continue to build a nation. And so that begins the second movement of what we're learning in the story. And that's where we are in these chapters right now as we look at Exodus later today. So let's read together the second movement of the story, the story of Israel or God builds a nation. Let's read it together. God builds a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he will reveal his presence, power, and plan to get us back. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. So God doesn't give up. Even though Adam and Eve sinned, even though after Noah and after the flood, people continue to sin, God is going to build a nation And he's going to use that nation to give his grace to the world. And God is going to bring his grace ultimately through his son Jesus. So through Israel, Jesus is going to come into the world. And so as we're going through the Old Testament, the story is teaching us about the coming of the Messiah. The story is teaching us about how God uses the situations that you and I go through to still lead us to a better future. That's very important to remember as we go into the main part of our message later today. But then we see that after the nation began to be built, there was the people that got scattered among the world. And Joseph was one that was sent because his brothers betrayed him. He was sold into slavery, but he maintained his character even though he was wrongly accused, even though people forgot about him. But eventually, because he rose to power in Egypt, God used him to bring his family from Canaan to Egypt. And there they grew into a mighty nation as God was preparing to send them out into all the world. Then last or two weeks ago, Pastor Peter preached about deliverance. And this is when we learned how the people, after they had grown from two to three million people in Egypt, and now they were going to be freed out of their slavery. They're being delivered, and God was using a man named Moses to deliver them. So they received the Ten Commandments. Moses went up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and there he received God's law. When he went down, the people received what God was giving to them, and God's promise that he was going to lead them into the future. And so now we see, as we come to today, that God gives us these commands, and he gives us a new covenant. 
He wants us to understand that he is with us. But as we talk to the children today, rules are good. Rules are good. So if I were to say, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we don't obey God. I wonder what would happen if we know God's word, but we choose to ignore it. I wonder what would happen if I know the Ten Commandments, but my life doesn't show that I obey them. Well, today, we want to imagine what it would be like to really be the other way and be the right way, to do what God wants us to do, to be the people that God wants us to be. And for that to happen, we need to really understand who we are, but what we can be in God. And for that to also happen, we want to understand who God is and what God wants for us. And so we're going to look at God and we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to look in the mirror of Scripture to see how God wants us to live. So the first thing that we see is God. It's going to be God, of course. And God being God, he establishes a covenant and commandments to rule us. He establishes a covenant, which we're going to understand what that means, his promises to us. And in that covenant, he gives us responsibilities called commandments to obey. He doesn't force us to do them, but if we want to enjoy the promises of his covenant, then we have to do it through obedience to his commandments. And so in Exodus 19, 3 through 6, we begin to understand the love of God and what God is doing. Would you stand with me? And let's read these verses out loud together. So Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Let's say it together. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Please be seated. Thank you. And so God is giving to us a covenant a covenant is a promise that I will take care of you. A, a covenant is a promise that I'm going to be faithful to you. Now, in our world, we're used to contracts, and contracts protect me. But covenants are to protect you. When I have a contract, it's about what you are going to give to me. But in a covenant, it's about what I am going to give to you. So contracts are very me-focused. Covenants are very you-focused. And so God, when he gives us his covenant, it is his promise that he will be faithful to us, but he doesn't make us obey. We have to choose to obey. So God gives us his commandments. And commandments are conditions that God gives to us so we can enjoy and grow in a covenant life. In Exodus chapter 20, we hear the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to read them to you right now. But I wonder, um, before I do that, could you name all Ten Commandments? Could you name them? Now, we're not going to do that, okay? But I wonder if we could just name them all. If we sat down on a piece of paper, not even in order, if we could name them all. Now, these are God's decisions, these are God's desires 
for you and me. This is what he knows is what's best for us. It is foundational. It is basic. And it is what God calls us to be and to do. So the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Or as we told the children, you don't worship any other gods. Number two is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And as we said to the children, don't make anything in your life more important than God. The third one, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then the fifth through the tenth one, honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not give false testimony. And do not covet your neighbor's things. God wants us to know that these are the things are the part of his commandments. This is what he wants for you and for me. And when we look at this, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I want us to think a little more carefully about the first four. Is that if God is being God and he gives us a covenant, then our choice is who are we going to be? So I want you to just think about me being me, okay? Me being me, what will I do? Maybe you've heard that statement before, you know, somebody being somebody and that's just what they are. Okay, many years ago there was a baseball player on the Dodgers named Manny. And Manny was kind of weird and he did weird things. And the news would always say, well, that's just Manny being Manny. Well, for you and for me, we have a choice of being who God really made us to be. And so me being me, what can I choose? Jesus, as we told the children, summarized the Ten Commandments for us. And the first four are in Mark 12, 30, summarized by Jesus with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so God wants us to be ourselves by choosing the things that are right for us. And so the first commandment, we review it again, is that God wants us to have no other gods before him or to worship God only by letting him determine all of my ways? Do we let God determine the way we live? Is there something else or someone else that determines what I do? God wants us to put him first, and worship means that which tells us what to do. What I choose to do is what I worship. And God leads us in such a way that we can choose to do the things that we know his word teaches us to do. The second commandment teaches us this, to make nothing more important to ourselves than God. Make nothing more important to ourselves than God. And that includes all people as well. It includes all things that we might possess. It includes our dreams. It includes our possessions. It includes all of the things that our hearts long for. But to make nothing more important in our heart than to love and to know God. The third one is to not use God's name in vain or to use it with great care, to use it in such a way that I respect it. Now, of course, we think, like, I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to use God's name profanely. But also, we should be careful to not use God's name carelessly. Like, you know, just saying, oh, God. Or some people go, oh, my Lord. 
And sometimes we just sort of say things out of our mouth without thinking. But God would have us to be very careful and to use our words, especially when we use the name of Jesus. We use the name of God with respect and with love and with the desire for obedience. And the fourth one, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, is to stop and to worship God one day a week and to rest for a 24-hour period, to let our bodies recover, to enjoy that time as well so that we aren't just crazy running around people. That God wants us to be ourselves, but we have to make that choice. Because God being God has given us his covenant, but we being his people will obey his commandments. But we see, as we look at the people, and, and we are oftentimes very much like them, that people being people will make promises that they will not keep. In Exodus 24, 3 through 4 and 7 through 8. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's say it together. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you is in accordance with all these words. And we'll look at those, that last passage later. But here we see that everything the Lord has said, the people said we would do. Let's just say that line together. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Say it with me. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Can you imagine being part of that throng of people saying that? Millions of people saying to Moses, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses is like, all right, we're on the same page here. And so he writes down everything the Lord had been telling him. And then he begins to read the law of the covenant to the people. And then once again they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The last line there, say it out loud with me. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And so they said that this is what I'm going to do. We will do everything. Moses as their leader, is trying to help them to follow after the promises of God. But they themselves have made a promise to God. Well, God called Moses back up to the mountain to receive more of the law. But it wasn't long before the people started to disobey. So Moses had gone up to the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. And that's almost six weeks. And as the people were waiting, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 32 that the people became impatient. And they said, we don't know what happened to this Moses. He, he disappeared up the mountain. And Aaron, who is, supposed to, who is the first priest, he's supposed to lead the people while Moses is gone. He tells them, you know what? Why don't you just take off the jewelry that you have, the jewelry that you brought from Egypt, and we're going to melt it down. And we're going to make an idol. And so Aaron takes the jewelry of the people. 
And he makes an idol, and he makes that famous golden calf. And then after they make the golden calf, the people look at it and they say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. In less than six weeks, they went from saying, We will do everything the Lord has told us to do, to creating an idol that offends God and breaks his heart. But not just breaks his heart, it breaks Moses' heart as well. And so Moses comes down the mountain... Moses hears singing, he sees dancing, he sees the party going all around this golden calf, and he gets incensed. He takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them to the ground and they break. He goes to the people and he challenges them, what have you done? What have you done, Aaron? Why did you allow this to happen? And Aaron comes up with this really solid reply. Aaron says in Exodus 32, verse 24, he says, I told the people, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Right? So that, that's what happened, Moses. Right? Just, it just magically appeared. And it's like, you know, even our, our kindergartners here, you know, probably wouldn't have come up with an excuse like that. And yet Aaron did. And that is such a part of who we are too, isn't it? We, we tend to make excuses. We tend to make things up. We tend to try to put the responsibility on other people. And so even though there are times as people we don't keep our promises, we must learn that there are times that no matter what happens, I'm still going to seek to trust God. So me being me, what am I going to do? How am I going to choose to love and obey? How am I going to choose to do what God calls me to do? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You obey what I say. Well, the first one, the lesson that we can learn from Aaron and from the people is be patient. Be patient and obey God, even if God is silent. Even if you're going through trials and it seems like God isn't answering your prayers, just know that he has not answered them the way you want yet. It doesn't mean that he's not going to answer them. He is answering them, but we must learn to be patient and in the process still obey God. But if we sin, we must learn to confess our sins without making any excuses no, none of this, you know, I threw the jewelry into the gold, now pop this calf. You know, we make excuses that are silly, that they don't make sense. But God wants us to take ownership. When we make mistakes, he is more than ready to forgive us. In fact, Moses is an example of God's forgiveness. He's also an example of, of God's judgment. And so the people made a mistake. God's ready to forgive God's eager to forgive, but at the same time, we will pay consequences for our sin. And so we have seen that God being God does the things that is always right. He gives us a covenant and he gives us commands. We see that people being people will make promises that they will not keep. But we're going to see something in Moses that is totally different for you and for me. 
and something that we all need. We need a Moses in our life because Moses is like Jesus. And Moses being like Jesus leads his people. Moses is what um, Bible scholars would call a type of Christ. It's called typology. And topology is something that helps us to see that even in the Old Testament, remember we read that at the beginning in the movement, right? In movement two, is that God was going to do everything through the life of his country, Israel, all through this nation to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. So the Old Testament is a preparation for Jesus. So in the Old Testament, we see people and events that are types of things that we happen that will happen in the New Testament. So there are people like Moses that represent a type of person. In this case, Moses represents Jesus. So typology is a special kind of symbolism. A symbol is something which represents something else. We can define a type as a prophetic symbol because all types are representations of something yet future. More specifically, a type in Scripture is a person or a thing in the Old Testament which foreshadows a person or a thing in the New Testament. And so Moses being Moses is actually Moses being like Jesus. He leads us and he shows us what God wants us to have. Now, God used Moses to teach us the law. In John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so God gives us his grace and his truth, the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. But we see that God has to punish sin. That's why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. That's why the people had to be punished after they made the golden calf. And it was very severe. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 25 through 29, I'm going to read it. We see that God executes his judgment through Moses. It says there, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. There are hard sayings in the Bible. There are some things in the Bible that really make us stop and think, and we we have to do that. But one of the things that we learn through this passage is that God takes sin seriously. Moses took sin seriously. And as a type of Jesus, Moses was executing God's judgment into the world. And so he called the Levites to himself. And the Levites were the instruments of judgment over those who had sinned. It doesn't say that they just randomly went through the camp killing whoever. It seems quite logical that these 3,000 people who died were the instigators of the calf and the people who were the most out of control, leading the people astray. 
And they were judged for their sin, for making an idol, for doing the very thing God had commanded them not to do. Does Jesus judge? Yes. In John chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, and these are Jesus' words, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And in the parable of what is known as the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus is the judge. And there he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus himself is the judge. And there is a righteous judgment that God is going to perform over all people, over all the world. And this is very important for us to understand as we look at the story. Because for us to be able to understand grace, we also have to understand holiness. We have to understand that God has a holy standard by which he expects us to live by. And God will execute judgment to those who reject that standard. Now, God is a God of love. And Moses, as a type of Jesus, is a, is a person of great love. And so he intercedes. In fact, even though, even though 3,000 of the Israelites were killed that day, Moses himself was willing to die for his people. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 30, it says, In the next day, Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. To be blot out of God's book would have been to be separate from God for all of eternity. Moses was willing to be separated from God for all of eternity. We might say that in essence, Moses was saying, I'll go to hell for these people. Don't blot them out of your book. Rather, blot me out of your book. How many people in your life are you willing to give up your salvation for? How many people in your life would you be willing to die for? Maybe, you know, hopefully your spouse, you know, parents, your children. Children, would you die for your parents? You know, how many people do you think are willing to die for you? Moses was willing to die for about three million people. He was willing to have his name blot out. And yes, he was an executor of judgment. He understood it. And all the more understanding the judgment of God, how fearful that must have been to say, God, I'll take that judgment for them. I'll take that judgment. He knew what it was like. But he was still willing to do that. What about Jesus? Is Jesus an intercessor? Is Jesus somebody who will lead us in such a way that he would do something even as Moses did? Well, we know the answer, of course, is yes. For God so loved the world that he loved his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God didn't want to come into the world to bring condemnation. 
He came into the world to bring salvation. But people still have a choice. And Jesus lives as an intercessor. Jesus lives as one who cares about us, who stands in between God and says, I will die in their place. I will take their place so they don't have to be separate from you. Even though they have sinned, I will pay the price of their sin. And how did he do that? Now remember earlier on, when we read about the book of the covenant, we read what Moses said after the people said, everything you said we will do. So then it says, then Moses, right after that, people said in verse 7, everything that you said we will do. And then in verse 8, Moses then took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so even though the people had said, we will do everything. They hadn't even done the golden calf thing yet. They said, we're going to do everything that you tell us to do. So even though they agreed with God at that point of time that they would be obedient, they still needed blood. So there's no amount of obedience in our lives that means that we don't need God's blood over us. And so these people, even though they had agreed to obey God, God now gives them a type of what Jesus would do. And Moses takes blood and he sprinkles it over the people. And he says, this is the covenant that the Lord has made. This is a precursor. This is a prophetic action that's going to talk about our Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the Bible says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. See, Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. And he sprinkled blood over the people so that they might know the forgiveness of God. But now the meteor of the new covenant is Jesus. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So how many people would you die for? Does it get past ten? Mine doesn't. My list doesn't. Moses was three million. How many billions of people have lived in this world? And Jesus died for all of them. He was the mediator of a new covenant. How? By spreading, shedding his blood for you and for me. And so Moses being like Jesus teaches us to be like Jesus too. Teaches us to love Jesus with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And so me being me, what will I choose? What can I choose to be more like Jesus? What can I do to be more like Moses? To love God more than any other. To go back and to think through those first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. Do I truly love God more than any other? And we can renew that desire even today. But then like Moses and like Jesus, to even love others more than my own life, which would be equally saying to love others more than I love myself. To care about their needs, to be willing to die for them, I may not physically have to die for them, but I may to have to die to my own desires 
so that they can receive from me a service or an action or love. And then lastly, to intercede and to pray for those who sin against God or against me. To pray for those who are at odds with God. To pray at those who are turned away from God. To pray for those who aren't obeying God right now. These are the three actions that you and I can do to apply the covenant through righteousness, through obedience, is to love God more than any other, to love others more than myself, and to intercede for any who might sin against me. Let's pray.